listening to Hippie Chick Chats, a chill podcast where we chat about everything from mental health and self-development to daily life, pop culture, and sometimes a little of nothing. I'm your host, Kristen, and if there's something you'd like to chat about, you can find me on Instagram at HippieKristen, call in, leave a voicemail, or email the podcast at hippiechickchats at gmail.com. This week, I'm chatting with registered dietitian Lauren Sauer about nutrition and how she's supporting others in their health needs with an anti-diet mindset. Whether you're here to learn or just here for the chit-chat, I hope you enjoy. So yeah, let's chat. Hippie friends, and welcome back to another episode of Hippie Chick Chats. Or if you're new here, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. Either way, I appreciate you and would love if you would help me out by subscribing to the podcast. Leaving a five star review is huge so that I can continue doing this. And of course, follow me on Instagram. Let's connect. I love hearing from you, not just as a creator, but personally, because making real connections is why I started this podcast in the first place. Um, but I am so glad to be able to introduce you to Lauren and share a bit of our call that actually took place before the holidays. Um, so during the call, you'll hear Lauren talk briefly about her new career position that was starting soon. And that change has actually taken place now as of this week. Um, I'm so excited for her and everyone that she'll be supporting and working with. I wanted to mention that because she's also updated her Instagram handle. So you'll still be able to find her website and information that she shares during the call. But on Instagram, she is now at nourish.dietitian.lauren. Um, and I'll link that below, um, as well as all the other websites and information she shares. But, um, yeah, she changed her name and she is now a part of the Nourish Network, which is a resource to be able to find and talk to dietitians covered by insurance via their website or app. Um, it sounds super cool, super helpful. I personally am really excited to have learned so much from Lauren and was even taking my own notes when listening back to our call. Um, I think everyone can benefit from this call and especially from following Lauren and learning from her. She has a bunch of free education and resources online. I also want to say that as always, even though I talk about eating plants and a lot of my guests have been vegan, um, this podcast is not one just for vegans. I like myself nor my guests would ever be people that would want to shame or put anyone down for their food choices. I'd say that that is especially evident in this episode because Lauren's main focus is to support everyone wherever they are um, to simply just create healthier relationships with food and yourself um, and learning being mindful caring for our minds and bodies and all the things is always my goal here as well and I know that um, that's you know we know that that's going to look different for everyone so I never want to scare anyone off or think that we are pushing something um also, during the call, um, I'm probably going on way too long before getting started, but um, I also noticed that I am just a cute little dummy and couldn't say nutritionist for some reason. Um, just know that I know that the word is not nutritionalist. I don't know why I kept saying that. 
Um, and I had to add cute in that little description because um, I'm not supposed to be putting myself down, but I may have glitched when I heard myself say that over and over. So fun stuff. Um, just had to throw all those disclaimers out there before. But anyway, I hope you enjoy. I know that you'll get something out of it. Um, and yeah, definitely check Lauren out. All her um, things online uh, will be linked below. And yeah, let's get into the call. Hi, Lauren. Thank you for making time to chat today. I'm excited to kind of um, pick your brain and learn more about how you're helping people. Um, I think it's really important work that you're doing. And so thank you for all that you are doing and for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I kind of told the audience a little bit before I called, but please introduce yourself. Tell us a bit about yourself professionally or personally, whatever you'd like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a dietitian. I've been, I'm going on five years now of being a registered dietitian, and I am vegan, which is common base between us, right? So my nutrition path um, started from pretty young age. I think in high school, I was pretty set on the idea of like I know food is powerful. And I was always kind of, I wouldn't say like a picky eater, but I always chose to eat healthier foods compared to like my friends who would eat chicken nuggets. I would always mm -hmm. like try to opt for something different. I didn't like chicken nuggets. I didn't like hot dogs. Like that wasn't for me. So I also had a stepsister who was vegetarian. So then I started being vegetarian because I wanted to be mm -hmm. cool like her. <laughs> um, and it just made sense. You know, as I got older, I was like, this just makes sense. So I was dabbling in that in middle school, high school. And then I decided to pursue a nutrition degree. And I went to Colorado State University. And that's when I kind of got into the vegan scene was my freshman year of college. And it was a certain YouTube guru. Um, and it was not the healthiest approach to veganism. Mm. Really, really restrictive. And so I did that initially for the terms of weight loss because I was more conscious of my body being in college. And um, and then I started feeling all the side effects of not having a well-planned vegan diet. You know, my hair thinned, my nails got brittle. Um, I had heart palpations. I had very low energy. So yeah. um, I realized that if I was going to stay vegan, which I wanted to stay vegan for other reasons other than weight loss at that point, right. um, I decided to do the research, right? Like I'm already in a nutrition degree. Why not focus my studies on plant-based nutrition? Yeah. So I did that and I started studying plant-based nutrition. My capstone project was on B12 deficiency in infants born to vegan mothers, right? So I was just trying to get the awareness out that vegan diets are doable and sustainable long-term. It just has to be well-planned and well thought out. Yeah. And then not until after I graduated did I realize that I still had a lot of food rules that stemmed from that initial vegan diet diet that I was on. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing more uh, individual studies of intuitive eating and mindful eating and healing relationships with food and body image and physical activity. So going through that personally, I can bring that to my clients, you know, understanding the depths of it. I do want to get into a lot of what you just said. Um, but before we dive in, I kind of start some episodes with a little icebreaker and asking my guests um, kind of like a, I call it hips and dips. Um, mm -hmm. So a dip would be like a lower point in the week, 
even if it's like just a silly recipe not going well or something annoying? Is there any other dips you would like to share? You know, it's hard to say. Uh, <laughs> things are really good in life, you know? Good. So yeah. I don't know. I think, I think with the cold, the coldness outside has definitely limited my time outside. So that kind of yeah. feels like a dip to me. <laughs> yeah. And what's hip? What's good? I guess overall, just things going well <laughs> lately is is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely just feeling really thankful and happy and, um, you know, every day I think like having time to relax, maybe that's my, my hip, um, just like giving myself time to like nourish my body and relax and build a fire and read a book. That's awesome. Well, thank you. So as far as your profession, can you kind of explain that a little more for anyone that doesn't know maybe like the differences between what you do and like a general doctor or even nutritionalist? Yeah, definitely. So that's a huge conversation. So I currently work in a cardiac rehab facility, right? And so we do nine-week program. It's an intensive program and it's plant-based. It's based off of Dr. Dean Ornish. Um, anyways, so I constantly, that's uh, in our first class, I always ask participants, do you know the difference between a dietitian and a nutritionist? Because nobody does. And I think it's really important to get the word out that, um, not discrediting all nutritionists out there. Some of them are highly educated, right? But, um, they don't have to go through the same rigorous education system as a dietitian does. So it's less um, regulated. So you can call yourself a nutritionist. Anybody listening to this can call themselves a nutritionist, right? So um, it's not regulated by any means. Um, And that's where we see a lot of harm can be done. Um, So that all being said, my role as a dietitian, it's not like a general doctor either, right? I like focus exclusively on nutrition. Doctors Mm -hmm. are wonderful in their specialties, but sometimes I think they try to do too much too. And they don't have, I know a few doctors, right? And I've worked in medical systems and um, they are swamped with the work that they do have. The last Mm -hmm. thing they really have is time to do any extracurricular nutrition education or like you know, learning. So while they do, they're smart and they're credible. Um, some of them just get the wrong ideas from the little information that they do read, right? And whereas like my entire job is to only do nutrition research. So dietitians, we have to go through a four-year accredited program. And then we are eligible for an internship and we have to graduate with a bachelor of science degree and usually food science and human nutrition. Our internships, it's a matching system. The matching, I can't remember the last time. I mean, when I went through it five years ago, I think it was like a 60% match rate. So pretty low. And I thankfully did get matched and I had to complete 1200 hours of supervised practice in different, you know, um, specialties, I guess. So like I had to do an outpatient clinic. I worked with a private practice. I worked in a hospital. I worked in a children's hospital, right? I was just trying to get as much experience as possible. And then once you, you know, pass that and you, um, you know, your supervisor sign off on what you've learned, then you can sit for a national exam. Um, and the pass rate for that is also very low. <laughs> At least the first try, you can obviously retake it. Um, so I studied for three to four months for that exam and passed it, thankfully. So I was able to get my credentials. And now that I have my credentials, it, they renew every five years. So you have to complete 75 hours of education, like continuing education every five years to maintain your credentials. And going into this new year of 2024, they're going to start requiring master's degrees to enter 
the field. Highly regulated. You know, I never, especially growing up, never knew anything about dietitians or nutritionalists or anything like that. But I'm a mom and bringing my kiddos to pediatricians, you know, I was already into the vegan scene and all that before kids. And it was really, you know, important to me to raise them vegan. But obviously, I want to make sure that I'm doing it correctly. And but one of the big things as far as going to the pediatrician that I learned was like, they are not nutritionalists, not that pediatricians aren't important. And like you said, great at what they do, but because they don't have that um, nutrition or um, dietitian background, or it's like, that's not where we're going to get all the answers as far as that kind of stuff. Right. Absolutely. And I think something like, I remind myself this all the time, you should see the bookmark folder I have on my computer with just hundreds of research articles that I'm like, okay, I need to get to these things because I want to read them. I read, I would roughly say five-ish research articles a week, maybe more, you know, if time allows it in my job, if there's some downtime for it. So Mm -hmm. if you think about that, right, like this is my full-time job and I'm still behind on reading research, you can only imagine someone whose full-time job is not this. Right. Exactly. It doesn't leave a lot of time. Yeah. I've seen you state before that you are an anti-diet dietitian. I think that's self-explanatory, but um, can you share more on that and what you mean by it, especially for those that may be unaware, just starting to see the impacts of diet culture? Yeah. I think, you know, when people hear the word diet, it, they it, there's a strong association with restriction, right? Right. Um, we do talk about our general diets, right? Like what is your diet? Oh, I eat mainly Mediterranean or I'm mainly vegan or whatever it is, right? Um, But also the word diet has a lot of negative connotation to it. So it's hard that that's part of, you know, our standardized name, a dietitian. So a lot of times people think like, oh, it's just going to be something restrictive. And we have to really unpack that word and understand how people perceive it. Um, So saying anti-diet dietitian kind of gives that edge of like, I'm not here to put you on a restricted diet. it means steering away from like the short-term plans and rules that are usually associated with dieting. And it's really focusing on diet culture's impact, you know, and how profound it is in promoting harmful narratives. So the approach of anti-diet dietitians is to focus on positive relationships with food, um, mm-hmm. emphasizing intuitive eating and dismantling the damaging effects of diet culture. And this even goes into our relationships with our body um, beyond food, right? And our relationships with physical activity, um, they're all really deeply intertwined. Um, can you explain the main principles and benefits of a plant-based diet or nutrition for from your personal experience, but also what you've come to see professionally? I mean, absolutely. So obviously there's going to be personal antidote stories and I have my own. Um, one of them being I have an autoimmune disease. I have psoriasis and it popped up, I believe when I was in about middle school, it was all over my body, like a Dalmatian, just patches Mm. of dry, flaky, irritated skin. And like I said, it's not like eczema. Eczema goes away. Psoriasis is autoimmune disease. So it's always there. Even if it lays dormant, it can always pop back up. And um, for the longest time through my adolescence, I was on steroid creams, trying to control it. I was really ashamed by it, right? You, You know, a young girl and, you know, you're starting to wonder how other people are um, responding to you and if boys like you or whatever. So I would cover up like even during the summer, I was wearing like long sleeve shirts because I was embarrassed of my skin. Um, And when I went vegetarian, things seemed to get a little bit better, but I wasn't super aware of it. Um, I was still eating some inflammatory foods like dairy. Um, And then I went full vegan in college and it 
totally cleared up on its own. I stopped using steroid creams. And there's a lot more that goes into it than just food, right? Like stress plays a huge role in Mm -hmm. autoimmune disease flare-ups. But um, ever since then, like sometimes like during the winter when I don't get enough sun exposure, I'll get a few pops of patchy skin, but it's nothing compared to what I experienced as a child. And that's just a huge testament to my diet and my lifestyle changes. Overall, I think like a big buzzword right now is anti-inflammatory diet, which essentially a plant-based diet is. And it's that's kind of an oversimplified um, look at it. But the reason why people do succeed and do so well on plant-based eating is because it's a healing diet, right? It helps our, yeah. it gives our bodies so many nutrients, um, being the anti-diet, you know, mindset is that I don't talk about good or bad foods or naughty mm-hmm. foods or whatever cheat days, but I use more of the terms of, you know, factual stuff. Like it's more nutritious or less nutritious. That all being said, eating more whole foods and more plant-based, it's deeply nutritious. It's, it's nutrient dense. You're giving your body every tool that it needs to heal itself. I mean, obviously medications are great and westernized medicine is wonderful, right? We couldn't be living as long as we are, but Mm -hmm. nutrition is a cornerstone of just being healthy. And when you say plant-based, explain that a little for anyone that's listening that, that it doesn't have to be this huge all vegan change overnight, that it is that word based. Yeah. I've even found that that term can be a little unsettling, a little too diety for people too. Yeah. Um, So, you know, especially like in cardiac rehab or patients that I've worked with in my private practice before, we've used the terms more like flexitarian or plant-focused, which feels a little bit more um, open-ended than plant-based, but essentially it emphasizes the foundation in plants without dictating an all or nothing commitment, right? So it allows for flexibility, acknowledging that adopting plant-focused lifestyles is a gradual process and it helps foster more sustainable and realistic changes over time. What are some common misconceptions or myths about the plant-based diet? Oh, I mean, so many of them, right? Like, I think the biggest one is the whole argument of you just can't be healthy um, being plant-focused or plant-based or vegan, right? Mm -hmm. That there's going to be some lack of nutrients, Um, you know, and people love to use the argument about B12, right? B12, you can't get on a plant-based diet. And that's not because it's necessarily exclusively meat, but it is a microorganism that we used to get on our food. But with our um, super sterilized farming practices these days, those microorganisms aren't available on our plant foods anymore. So, you know, it's it's something to say that um, there's so much that goes into being plant focused, whether that is environmental impact, your health, um, the ethical right side of it, um, that it just makes it benefits so much um, that having the slight little bit of extra planning doesn't bother most people. And you can get enough nutrients. You can get almost all essential nutrients other than B12 (laughs) through plant-based eating. And that all being said, too, you can get plenty of B12 through like nutritional yeast and seaweed, but you have to be really mindful about how much of that you're eating, which a lot of people don't pay too much attention to. So which case a supplement does come in handy. Why do you think that doctors and um, people in the healthcare industry are kind of in a general sense against? I think it really does come down to the restrictiveness behind the traditional vegan diet. I mean, we live in a day and age now where we can walk into the grocery store and have every alternative of every food you can ever think Mm -hmm. of. 
Uh, when I first went vegan a decade ago, you, all you had were the Boca patties, and that was the best alternative you can find. Right. So it, it was really limiting. And um, also, it people don't do it well, right? People, quote right. unquote, fail at it because they're not being mindful about it. And that's what it really comes down to is that it's not unhealthy to be vegan. It is unhealthy to be a poorly planned vegan. Right. Yes. So it does take that extra level of caring about your health, which everyone should do, right? I mean, there's plenty of people on the standard American diet who are not healthy by any means at all, right? So all at all bases of eating, people should care and should should have yeah. that. But we don't get the basic knowledge in um, grade school. We don't, you know, it's uh, everything that's online is clickbait and usually cherry picked information. And it's just boasting or trying to sell a product, right? So right. it's really hard for people to get the right information to have a balanced approach. So working in the medical field and working with doctors and understanding that, yes, it seems kind of abrasive where they're just like, oh, your kid's vegan. That's not going to work. You have to kind of see it from their scope of lens is that we as health professionals do have to consider essentially the the people who don't, don't plan. Right. right? Cause yeah. that is probably the larger majority. And, yeah. and so that's where a lot of the concern comes from. And they think that giving a generalized answer of don't let your kid be vegan is just the easiest way to kind of combat that. I mean, that does make sense because I spoke about in a recent episode of people that we see in, you know, the ones that get picked up in the media of cases of it's really malnutrition and starvation and people not planning or doing it correctly, not for the right reasons, not with the right mindset. Or So it, it makes sense that I would rather there be concern in there um, in the doctor's office because you, you can't know what's being done correctly. And even with like influencers or people just making a YouTube channel and putting information out there that is not great that people end up following and, um, you know, think they are just going to live off bananas or something. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, so I understand it, but do you think that it should still be something that I see a lot in groups? Like, you know, I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups of vegan parents and people and stuff. And, um, I don't know if I would say fear, but it is something that they're like, well, I know what I'm doing, so I just won't bring it up to the doctor at all. Um, is it something that should be kind of, obviously, I'm sure you'd say like, uh, be honest with your healthcare professionals and stuff, but um, do you know what I'm saying? Is it something that someone could kind of be worried about telling their doctor? Yeah, I mean, well, so... I think, oh gosh, it, that's such a hard question, right? Because yeah, every <laughs> scenario is so individualized. Ideally, a health professional would be at least the best thing that they could do is that they would say, I don't know much about that diet, but I'll find someone to refer you to, to ensure that it is proper, right? right for whatever mm -hmm. situation it is. Yeah. And unfortunately, we don't see that. We don't see people referring to dietitians very often, like in, in mm -hmm. medical clinics, which is just such okay. a silly thing. Um, and there's a lot more companies now trying to, you know, pick up that, that slack. Um, so I don't know if you've seen like all those telehealth online companies. Now there's a really large one called nourish. Um, but it essentially is dietitians via telehealth and they take okay. insurance. Yeah. They're trying to pick up the slack now by, you know, not having referrals out to dietitians. And I even have to admit like working in the hospital field and knowing, um, medical students coming in. I even have a friend in medical school and she's like, yeah, they don't really talk about like dietitians. They don't talk about like, that's a right. thing. 
Um, so that all being said, I kind of got off track, but, um, I don't think people should, I think it should be documented that they're vegan or their child's yeah. vegan. Cause you just, you know, in terms of getting the proper labs ordered yeah. or, you know, checking the boxes, that's really important. Um, I think if a provider does start questioning you and kind of coming off in a negative way, just ask, is there someone that you could refer me to that is an expert on this, you know? Mm -hmm. And maybe hopefully that'll help you with autonomy in your choices and also help with, you know, advocating for your health needs. I thankfully have not experienced any of that. I'm more of on the side of um, I'm like a big researcher and wanting to make sure I'm doing everything correctly. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I've kind of maybe pushed a little more like, oh, can we get these labs and just double check everything? And they're like, um, they're completely healthy. Like we would know <laughs> if something as something was off. Um, but for someone, I guess more if someone's going in and they decide that they do want to see a dietitian to either confirm things or um, just learn more. What would a appointment or what happens when you meet with a dietitian? Yeah, um, you know, not all dietitians are cut with the same cookie cutter. Uh, I'll right. put it that way, right? Just like all doctors, right? Like they're they're going to have their own methods. Um, I can speak more to like the intuitive eating approach, which is okay. first building a really solid foundation with a client. So what it looks like is that in order to make positive, healthful changes, um, you first have to look at the emotions behind food. So there's something called like the polyvagal theory. So that basically goes into we need our basic needs met. Otherwise, we are susceptible to never like healing our relationships with food. So making sure that we feel safe and not only do we feel safe, but is there an absence of danger? So, you know, if someone's living uh, in a survival mode, then they're not going to be able to sustainably incorporate um, healthy habits, right? First thing, we need to get to the basis of that survival mode. Um, so in terms of like a first session with someone, I would first ask if they, they don't have to disclose what the trauma is, but I ask them if they are experiencing trauma or have had trauma in the past, yes or no. Um, if they say yes, I ask, you know, are you receiving help with that with a licensed professional, like a therapist? Um, if they say no, then I oftentimes would be like, okay, well, I, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to work on this nutrition stuff until some of those other things are addressed first. Because a lot of people just don't have the mental space to move yeah. forward. Um, you know, there's kind of like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there's also like a hierarchy of food needs. And the very basis of that is just getting enough food, right? So a, a huge thing that I went into in terms of specialized education beyond veganism is disordered eating, because a lot of people can mask disordered eating with being vegan. So, you know, the very first basis is just getting enough food and then it's about focusing on acceptable food and ongoing access to food. And then you can start moving into things that taste good and things that are new and then things that are nourishing. So it's really healing those relationships first and building that basis. And that's kind of the initial session is figuring out what, what needs to be healed. Like where there might be barriers, um, what kind of barriers are there? You know, is, is that something that I can do on my own as a dietitian or do I need to refer out to a higher level of care? Um, so it's kind of like me being an investigator in the first 
session. Yeah, I like that. I when I saw that your main focuses um, were disordered eating and even heart health, I'm someone that personally has had experiences and struggles with both. Um, so that really drew me into being more interested in what you do and what you share. But on the heart health side of things, are there any um, specific foods or nutrients that are specific to benefiting heart health? Absolutely. So, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of heart disease out there. It's not cookie cutter. <laughs> um, a lot of people also may have like comorbidities, like they may have diabetes with heart disease, or they may have, um, you know, uh, I have seen people who have like leukemia and heart disease or, you know, it goes, it's all across the board, right? So there are general recommendations of foods to eat that can benefit heart health and just overall health, right? Mm -hmm. So usually a heart healthy focused diet is also one that is, uh, reduces risk of cancer, reduces risk of autoimmune disease flares. It reduces risks of GI disorders, right? It's kind of, it just proves that you get so much nutrients from plant-focused eating that it helps your body heal. And um, so in terms of heart health specifically, I mean, number one, it goes back to the basic of eating enough. Mm -hmm. Um, Your heart is a muscle, right? We have to feed it. Uh, So if people are restricting food, it can weaken your muscles and you know, over time, obviously it's not going to first weaken your heart. Your heart's one of those things that's conserved until like it's, you know, past a point of a certain threshold. But if you are restricting a lot of food over a period, long period of time, mm-hmm. it's going to start depleting your muscle mass and your like skeletal muscles. And then it's going to go inwards towards your organs and your heart. And that can weaken your heart muscles, which can you know, lead to complications with your heart later in life. Um, and we do see this in people who have eating disorders um, in younger um, phases of their life. So not only that, um, but eating more plant-based, you're going to get a lot of nutrients like magnesium and vitamin K. And um, these can help with heart rhythm regulation and the health of your arteries. So if someone has plaque buildup, which is called atherosclerosis, man, it it is so intense, the information. But essentially, if I can kind of sum it up, is that atherosclerosis obviously builds up in your arteries, the plaque builds up, the fat, the circulating fat, right? So if we're eating a more plant-based diet, we're usually consuming less saturated fat. Saturated Mm -hmm. fat is found in things like overly processed food. It's found in whole milk. It's found in fatty cuts of meat and the skin of chicken and the yolks of eggs, right? And consuming that in excess over, you know, our whole lives, because plaque buildup starts when we're young, um, can start building that up and start occluding blood flow. So not only does it impair blood flow to the heart and to the rest of our body, like our organs, like our brain, um, but it also will lead to irritation of the really delicate um, tissue lining of our arteries. And when it damages those cells, right, then those cells aren't functioning very well. Um, And it can lead to an immune response. Our immune cells will go to that area. They'll try to help out. They'll try to start picking up this plaque buildup and trying to help with what's happening there to help relieve the stress that is being put onto that tissue. And what can happen is that there's so much um, chaos in that area that it can lead to either the plaque um, breaking off or like one of those immune cells bursting and some of those um, fat cells fall out. And that can lead to uh, a clot, 
which can lead to things like strokes and heart attacks. Um, so long story short, eating a really nutritionally dense food with a lot of antioxidants and phytonutrients that we find in plant foods can help lower the inflammation response. It can help keep those cells around that lining a lot healthier and functioning better to help with that process. The sad thing about atherosclerosis is that there's really no research showing that it can be reversed. Kind of like when it builds up to a certain point, like that's what it is. And you can have stents placed to help with blood flow, but you can't naturally reduce that plaque buildup. But what you can do is eat healthier, eat lower inflammatory foods, eat foods that are less in saturated fat and less in concentrated sugars. Um, and that can help essentially harden the plaque so it's less susceptible to breaking off. It's so in-depth. Um, yeah. I wish we had more time to talk about all this stuff. A lot of the time when someone that's not educated on the matter and hears the term plant-based and especially vegan, um, they automatically think like lacking and restrictive. Um, how can someone ensure that they're getting all the nutrients that you're talking about in a plant-based diet? But, you know, and, and what would you say to those that would automatically see it as unhealthy or hard to do it in a healthy way? Yeah. It, so, and I experienced this a lot with people in cardiac rehab, right? They're in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and um, they're meat and potato people, right? Come in and they're like, well, I've eaten this way my whole life. So this is the hardest thing for me to even consider eating more plant-based or trying tofu. Um, and it's about baby steps, right? If you want this to be sustainable, you have to make it really realistic for them. Um, so I always say that plant focused, right? We let's focus on one plant-based protein this week, right? So instead of beef tacos, maybe try black bean tacos, you know, and, and over time they're like, oh, yeah, that's doable. And I'm like, yeah, right. One meal at a time, one day at a time. Um, and then the knowledge, right? Becoming a conscious consumer is everything, you know, from buying clothes to buying food, essentially. Yeah. So no, why? You know, I, I have a lot of people come into the program where they're like, I was just told to eat Mediterranean or plant-based, but nobody told me why, so I'm not going to do it. And then after mm -hmm. our nine-week program, you know, I give them, I, I talk about the pathophysiology and I talk about what happens in our body and how food is reacted to in our body and how that, you know, affects not only their heart, but other organs, their brain, right? Reducing risk for Alzheimer's or dementia or the onset of it. And then they start really getting the buy-in more because they're like, oh, it's more than just my heart, right? And it's more yeah. than just eating tofu. Like there's reasons behind this and nobody has ever taken the chance or the time to educate them on those reasons. I did a program with a pediatrician that um, she's starting this course. Um, she's a plant-focused pediatrician and she's talking to families that are not vegan and not plant-based, but she's saying that anything worth doing at all is worth doing a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. Would you kind of agree with that as, as far as teaching these, especially the older people that um, starting that one meal or one day and absolutely because if you give someone an all or nothing mentality, like if you were to go to someone right. and be like, you have to be vegan to reverse heart disease. Yeah. I mean, nobody wants to be told what to do and they're going to usually do the opposite. And it feels, yeah. and even if they try, even if they're like, okay, you're the professional, I'll listen to you. They are going to burn out so fast. It is not yeah. sustainable, right? So we have to like 
we have to give them the autonomy in their journey. So that means that I'm here to support them. I am here to educate them. I'm here to intervene if something is going to be harmful that I perceive, you know, perceive happening. But in the end, I'm not here to tell them, no, you can't do that. Or yes, you have to do this. I am there to support them in their autonomy of their journey. Um, And that way that becomes more sustainable. So yes, it usually starts with very, very small steps. I'm naturally an all or nothing person. And that's probably why that has a plays a part in my history of disordered eating myself. But um, how can someone like me find balance in wanting to be health conscious, like for our minds, our bodies in a literal sense, like our heart and organs and wanting to make sure we're getting all those important nutrients, but needing to not go down that slippery slope of obsessing. Yeah. And, you know, it goes back to the basic need of being fed. Um, so even if that means not being, you know, quote unquote, the most, or having the most nutrient dense diet, Mm -hmm. um, at first, that's totally fine. Actually, a lot of times I tell people to really relax their food rules and start healing their relationships with their food and their body first. And we work through that through a lot of different approaches, right? Like cognitive behavior, like therapy approaches and, um, you know, working with an actual licensed therapist and, Mm -hmm. you know, healing those relationships before getting to the actual nutrition component, which is hard. I mean, a lot of people, when they think of wanting nutrition coaching or something like that, they are like, I'm just going to get the answers. You're going to give me a macro plan and done Mm -hmm. is done. But, um, so when I, when people come to see me, I, I lay it all out. I'm like, this will take time for some people. It takes weeks. Some, some people it takes months and some people it takes, you know, years of going through each individual food. Why is there a barrier, right? Like how, what, what is this tied to is, or do you feel unsafe in other ways? Um, and then we can get to the nutrition. Once I've healed those relationships, then it's like, okay, so like, let's look at what a balanced meal looks like. If you're just someone who doesn't have the, you know, doesn't have the capacity or the uh, privileges to get into nutrition therapy, focusing on the my plate method. Have you mm-hmm. heard of that before? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is by the USDA. It's a government, you know, um, back in the tons of research back in this my plate method. And it's pretty inclusive. We switched from the pyramid the food pyramid to the my plate method because it includes other cultures it includes different you know if someone's vegan right essentially what the plate is is that it's half fruits and vegetables a quarter carbohydrate and a quarter protein Mm -hmm. if you can kind of base your meals off of that and you get in a variety of foods you're more likely than not going to be hitting a lot of your nutrient needs do you know the um the chronometer app yeah i do would you say that that's something that is more something to look into later down the road as someone, um, like you said, when someone's first starting and needing to heal that relationship with food and just simply eat um, rather than jumping into those those apps? You know, like for me, I want to make sure that I'm doing everything correctly or not now, but a long time ago when I started. And and sometimes I'll like want to double check and like track everything for a few days just to have that uh, confirmation, I guess. But um, generally tracking things like that, not being healthy choice to, to use apps like that? Yeah, more often than not, those cause more negative images of not only their food, but of themselves, um, you know, than it does any good. And, um, I, you know, the first rule of intuitive eating is to ditch the diet 
mindset, diet mm-hmm. culture. So that means you know, hiding your scale, throwing your scale out. It means, you know, um, uninstalling those calorie tracking apps and unfollowing fitness influencers and, you know, deleting your Pinterest board that might have all this like thin spell on it. Right. Um, because that disconnects you so much more from your body. When we talk about intuitive eating and mindful eating, we want to know how the food is reacting in you. It's deeply personal. Um, and it's a deep connection with your body, right? And a lot of us have gotten so used to being so disconnected from it um, by, you know, having those those measures, those outside measures that supposedly tell us what we need, but it's not usually what we actually need, right? So learning what your hunger cues are, what your fullness cues are, how, like, how do you feel full? How do you feel comfortably full versus overly full, right? And mm-hmm. How does that play into things like headaches and fatigue and restlessness, right? These are all things that could be addressed with nutrition, but you have to start listening to your body on a very deeply personal level without interference from things like calorie counting apps to be able to know how you're nourishing your body. Um, it's the foundation of it. Yeah, I agree. And I'm I'm wondering as far as the actual nutrition, right? Because if someone's using those apps or or just in their mind, not necessarily caring about calories or their body image or anything like that, but wanting to make sure that they are getting enough nutrients because we have had this um, you know, big thing of, oh, where are you getting your protein? Where are you getting this and that and stuff like that? Um, even though it's not in a body image type mindset that you're saying that it could maybe still not be great. So I guess what I'm asking is if you're feeling healthy and your mind and body is like functioning and you think everything's good, um, you don't think that there's a big need to look into into making sure you're getting everything, I guess. Yeah, I see where you're coming with that. Um, it's, I mean, it's good to be a conscious, right? About to know, um, yeah, definitely know where you're at and, uh, you know, reading nutrition labels, if that's comfortable to you, right? There's a lot of people who do need to avoid looking at nutrition labels in terms of disordered eating tendencies, um, getting regular blood work done every year, every other year is a really good starting point. Right. Because if your blood work comes back totally fine, then you have nothing to worry about, really. Like, Mm -hmm. just keep doing what you're doing. Eat a well-balanced diet. And I know that sounds so generic, but it just means a variety of foods. Right. Don't eat broccoli and rice every single day and expect yourself to be fully nourished. Yeah. The, the trackers are tough. It, it, it's um, if so, if you feel completely mentally well to do that and know that it is a generalized calculation. Right. And mm-hmm. I think what's really hard with those trackers is that you can't turn off their recommended. This is like how many calories you should be eating a day. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. you have to sign up like with your anthropometric measures, like your height and your weight and all that. So they like. Mm-hmm quote unquote, calculate your needs for you. And you can't really turn that off, which is really Uh, frustrating. Um, So if you're able to look at it subjectively, right, and understand that whatever that calculates for you isn't optimal, probably, um, and you're just there to look at the actual nutrient composition of food, I don't see the huge harm in that as long as, like I said, you're in a good mental space to do so. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Because of course, when you're in an unhealthy state and making unhealthy choices, sometimes, you know, you don't know in that moment, um, at least maybe not in the beginning. So what kind of things do you see in your practice that someone might not realize are actually unhealthy habits or an eating disorder or becoming unhealthy, but they don't realize it? Yeah, I mean, so diet culture has been so deeply ingrained and normalized. Um, So things like cheat days, Right. It sounds fun, but it's deep rooted in diet culture, Um, you know, or saying I can't have a certain food in the house because I know I'll just go crazy for it. Mm -hmm. Um, That was I'll be honest, that was my last diet rule that I had to kick the can on. Um, I think it was, you know, I've been practicing mindful eating, intuitive eating for the last four years, a year after I became a dietitian. And um, and it was a journey. It it doesn't happen overnight by any means. You have to like relearn and unlearn some things. But uh, I thought I was like, yeah, I was like there. I was really mindful of my food choices. I wasn't like, you know, putting any food on a pedestal. I wasn't restricting anything or any, you know, avoiding any cravings that I was having. But I remember that salt and vinegar chips I could not have in the house. And my my little mindset around that was like, oh, I only get them for camping because while I'm camping, I am more likely to be more physically active. And um, and then like, I don't know, some reason that's a justification for it, right? And for a second, I just like, it just hit me one day and I was like, that's a diet rule, right? But it took me years into it to realize that even something like that, like it was so normalized for me. Um, that that was a diet rule by not. And so literally that day I went to the grocery store and I picked up a bag of salt vinegar chips and I put it in my house. And now then it wasn't forbidden. Like I didn't feel this, like it didn't have this power over me anymore. Yeah. You mentioned intuitive eating a few times. Can you explain more of, of what that is? Yeah. It's, um, very mindful approach. So Intuitive eating is the basis of mindful eating. And I know they sound really similar, but they're not, right? Yeah. So a lot of people think intuitive means instincts, but that's not true. Um, You know, there is a psychology model that's not foolproof by any means, but I think it helps a lot of people understand how we can approach food. And, and it's basically, it's called the Trayan brain model. And it's like we have three components of our brain, essentially. One is our reptilian brain, which is our instincts, right? Like, oh, I want to eat a pint of ice cream. Like that's my instinct. Like I'm hungry right now. It's going to be quick and sugary and it's going to be delicious. That's my instinct. And then we have our emotional brain where it's like, oh, I might, I'm not feeling safe or getting all my needs met. And I find comfort in this pint of ice cream. Mm -hmm. And then we have our rational brain. That's like, okay, hold up. If I eat a pint of ice cream, is that going to make me feel good? right? Is this what my body needs? Is this what my mind needs? And you may be like, yeah, I still want ice cream, but in what capacity? It's not the instinct of I'm going to shove my face with it because this is a type of nourishment that my body needs immediately because I rationally thought to nourish myself throughout the rest of the day to the point where I didn't get to this, you know, starvation phase and needing to eat something quick. And then emotionally, right? If your rational side of your brain is like, okay, yes, I do want to emotionally eat this and that's totally fine. I'm going to serve myself a scoop of it. But on top of that, I'm also maybe going to do some yoga or some journaling, like having another outlet instead of just um, disassociating and eating a whole pint of ice cream, right? Like feel your emotions, understand what they are, understand the root of it and is food going to fix that for you? And it's easier said than done, right? But that's kind of going back into this uh, idea of 
intuitive eating. It's not just our instincts. It's a very um, delicate combination of all components of our brain. What are some common mistakes that people make when adopting a plant-based diet or just wanting to eat healthier or even with intuitive eating in general? And how can, can those maybe be avoided? Yeah, I, you know, uh, common mistakes are just not having inadequate planning, I should say. Yeah. Right. It it goes back to it's possible, sustainable long term, and it's really healthy if it's planned well. And that's that's to go for any diet. Right. Like even technically, like, I don't know, there's other diets on the market that aren't ideal for health. But if you plan it well, it's going to be a lot more sustainable. Um, And I think that's why, like, uh, you know, through and through the Mediterranean diet, which is plant prominent, you know, is talked about a lot as being the most sustainable diet is because not only is it focused on whole foods, but it's also flexible. People don't feel like it is a hard and set diet. So kind of approaching plant-based eating with the same mindset that, you know, uh, in order to be sustainable, like you had mentioned before, if I'm in a scenario where I don't have access to the foods that I would normally eat, Mm -hmm. am I comfortable with alternatives, right? In name, in, in the sense that I need to meet, meet my basic needs of being fed. Um, so not only, yeah, being comfortable with that, understanding your reasons for going vegan or plant-based vegetarian, and then planning adequately, understanding what nutrients you need and how to get them. Yeah. Are there any specific resources or tools that you recommend for individuals that are interested in adopting a plant-based or plant-focused diet for especially heart health or struggling with an eating disorder? Yeah. In terms of disordered eating, I mean, there's the intuitive eating workbook. That's a wonderful thing that you can start doing on your own. Um, It's, you know, I think it's under $20 and get on Amazon. It's pretty accessible. And um, it's, you know, is made by two dietitians who have studied intuitive eating through and through and backed by mm-hmm. tons of research. So that's a good kind of like, you know, if if you're not ready to have a session with a dietitian, that is a wonderful place to start. Um, in terms of plant-based eating, there are tons of, of good um, science-backed uh, dietitians on like Instagram. In terms of balanced plant-based eating, there are resources like Forks Over Knives, right? that do have a lot of good education on plant-based eating. However, not every one of these outlets is going to be mindful of intuitive eating or disordered eating, right? So it may be a little bit more rigid looking on those websites, Um, in which case finding a dietitian would be a wonderful approach. Um, Because not all dietitians are going to be plant-focused, I assume, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Would you say that seeing a dietitian in general is a healthy choice, even if they're not plant-focused? Yeah. So I think that's actually a really great point is that so you know you might have a certain insurance carrier and you can get a dietitian through that and it'll be cost free to you right so why wouldn't you use that um if you don't feel connected to your dietitian, you should feel connected to your dietitian like you should feel connected to your doctor right you don't want to feel uncomfortable in that space um that all being said you can always ask for a referral or other resources from that dietitian and they'll have a lot better of a capacity to to find um you know, someone who's going to meet your needs better. Like I'm more than happy to refer someone to another dietitian if I am not meeting their needs. Um, there is the weight inclusive nutrition and dietetics, um, subgroup. You can find them online. Um, and they are a wonderful collective of dietitians and other eating disorder professionals. Um, 
that are licensed and, you know, are weight inclusive. Um, so there's no risk of, you know, feeling like they're just going to tell you to lose weight in order to be healthy. Right. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. also a huge concern in the medical field. No, um, I mentioned before that company nourish uh, and it's kind of a plug. Uh, I'll admit I am going to start working for them, but I haven't worked for them. Oh, I'm not working for them yet. Um, but the reason why I applied for a job there and why I got drawn to it is because it's not a hard and fast diet that they're pushing. They hire dietitians to teach their specialties and it's a connect. It's a network of dietitians. So it is so easy to refer to someone else who may better suit your needs. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's a wonderful network to have. So I think that is a really great resource as well. That's awesome. That's in Denver or is it a telehealth thing? It's telehealth. Yeah, they're actually based oh, awesome. in Texas, um, but they have dietitians licensed in every state. Well, thank you. Are there any other thoughts or things that you'd like to share that you're passionate about? Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm passionate about so much. I'm really, really yes, passionate about <laughs> nutrition. Um, you know, I think something fundamental is that like, you know, I, I'm ideally pursuing higher education, master's degree and yeah. focusing more on the psychology of nutrition, which I think that is a gap in the nutrition world is, you know, you have your food psychologist, psychiatrist, sorry, um, who work with eating disorders. And then you have your dietitians who can be really trained in that field, but there's um, very few people pursue the overlap. And, um, you know, that's kind of where a huge interest of mine lies. Well, wow. Thank you so much for sharing. I, of course, love to connect with other vegans and just like-minded people in general, but there's just something uh, like especially exciting when it's a professional, I guess, someone <laughs> in the healthcare industry that like to get their insight and just be able to learn and make sure that you're making healthy choices and, and not just following a trend or, or even like because of morals and ethics, which is great. Right. But like kind of forgetting about the health side of it. Yeah. Um, so thank you again for sharing your time and energy with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So before we end, I kind of do like a little throwback type segment, different themes. And because I kind of touched on my history of like disordered eating, and um, I thought it would be kind of cool to ask you if you have something that you've overcome or an accomplishment or something um, exciting like that that you'd like to share. In my dietetic internship in terms of, of like overcoming something. So unfortunately, like the beef council and the dairy council have a lot of lobbyists. And I think we all kind of know that being vegan. And um, in my internship, the beef council um, actually offered uh, the director of our program money to come speak to us and do a workshop with us. And essentially what this workshop was, was that we were supposed to talk about how including red meat into a diet, uh, into a Mediterranean diet can be healthy, right? And I'm not discrediting anybody's food choices right now, right? Like the fact is that there is a lot of research showing that red meat does honestly more harm to our health and benefits. Right. Um, not that it can be included in a healthy diet. And I know that sounds very anti-vegan of me, but once again, we're going Right. back to the basis of people needing the, the base need of being fed. Yeah. But essentially, this this whole workshop was really sketchy. It was very cherry picked. So essentially, they gave us a presentation on how incorporating red meat um, didn't show a negative impact on heart health. And I remember I was like, the, there was only one research article that they presented on this one guy who was working for the Beef Council. And I remember raising my hand in class and being like, I'm sorry, how long was this study done for? And he stutters and he goes, oh, three weeks. And I'm like... Uh 
Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure you can't measure heart disease progression in three weeks. And then he was like really flabbergasted. And then I was like, oh, and who funded the study? And he goes, well, it was funded by the Beef Council, but, you know. And so I was, you know, I think just it's sometimes it's so easy in the dietetics world that, yes, there are things that are funded or there are lobbyists for it, but really just standing up not only for what you believe in but you know what is backed by the actual research out there right yeah Yeah. and I remember going to my director and being like I I'm not doing this workshop and she was like and I brought like papers on papers of research articles you know showing her why it's not something that I believe in and she was like you are the only student in my like decade of doing this program who has said anything about that she's like honestly I've never felt really good about doing this she's like they do give our department Mm -hmm. money um she's like but you know she's like you're gonna be a really good dietitian because you aren't gonna be persuaded by right you know glitter essentially and all of that so um she actually stopped it she stopped that connection with the beef council wow. after our cohort yeah so wow. um just like a huge triumph and it really gave me yeah. like that motivation to keep pushing forward with being a vegan dietitian that's huge <laughs> thank really you cool. um so to wrap up where can the audience find you connect with you uh, essentially my new position with nourish is dissolving my business and i'm honestly oh. thankful for that because oh. not only do i now get to accept insurance um but they get to do all the marketing and admin work that I don't have to do anymore. Um, so it's a huge burden off my shoulders. And now I can just do what I love, which is working with people and doing my actual job. So um, that all being said, I am working for Nourish. I start uh, in January. So you won't see me on their uh, website until then. But that is one place you can find my profile. It's Lauren Sauer. My last name is S-A-U-E-R. Um, otherwise, I do have my website still up for my business. It's called theplantbasedremedy.com. Yeah. And you, know, you can connect with my Instagram that way you can connect I think my TikTok is still attached to that even though I haven't posted on TikTok in ages um and it, that's just another way to stay in touch and I'll keep my website up right because I'm still using it as kind of like a blog format yeah. so I'm still trying to put out you know evidence-based information I have a really great blog on Ozempic because obviously there's a craze around that right now about weight loss drugs um so I'm just trying to put out as much unbiased nutrition information out there as possible yeah. um so yeah I love it it's been so helpful thank you so much yeah and I will um connect with you again soon okay thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.